Hi, and welcome to Crash Course Catholicism, a podcast about Catholic teaching and why it makes sense. I'm your host, Caitlin West. And welcome to this episode on the second and third commandments. So the second commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. TBH, when I started preparing this episode, I was like, this is going to be a really short episode because these two commandments seem pretty self-evident, right? Like don't use the name of Jesus as a swear word and also go to mass on Sundays, the end. (laughs) But of course, you know, with all of these things, you look a little bit closer and you're like, no, there is so much more to this. So, you know, things like why do we have to go to mass on Sundays or how late is too late for Sunday mass or can I go to work on a Sunday, etc. So we're going to consider all of those questions in this episode. Okay, so let's start with the second commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So Peter Kreeft talks about how in ancient cultures, even a human name is sacred, for a person is sacred, and a person's name is a symbol for the person. So point 2158 of the Catechism affirms this importance of names when it says, God calls each one by name. Everyone's name is sacred. The name is the icon of the person. It demands respect as a sign of the dignity of the one who bears it. And I think this is something that we kind of instinctively get, that when I use someone's name, I'm not just saying a random word. I'm actually calling to mind and evoking the whole person. So I'm on a bit of a Doctor Who kick at the moment. And in Doctor Who, there's this recurring idea that names are really important. So whenever the doctor meets an alien who's trying to like take over the world or whatever, once he uses their name, he has a kind of power over them. And that makes sense, right? Because by naming someone or something, it's like you're saying, I know you, I understand who or what you are on a deep level. And there's a kind of power in that. So in Australia, there's this real culture of nicknaming people, like everyone has got a nickname. And I think at its heart, that instinct to give someone a nickname partly comes out of that desire to express the uniqueness of that person. It's sort of like acknowledging that, you know, there might be millions of Elizabeths in the world. But to me, you're not just any old Elizabeth. You're Liz or Lizzo or Mr. Squiggle, right? You use a name that expresses something unique about that person and your relationship with them. So names are a really important thing. Now, Our sense of the sacredness of a name corresponds with our sense of the sacredness of the thing or the person that we are naming. So, for instance, if I refer to an unimportant, random, inanimate object like a TV remote, it doesn't matter if I get its name wrong. So I might call it a thingamy or a doobry or a whatsamacallit. It really doesn't hugely matter. Or conversely, if I got really angry and in my anger I yelled, TV remote, (laughs) people might think that I'm weird. But they're not going to be offended because the thing that I'm referring to to express my anger doesn't have an inherent dignity or sacredness. 
And that's why so many of the actual swear words that we use are so offensive, not just because they sound harsh, but also because they are referring to intimate human acts or intimate parts of the human body and undermining their dignity. So the human person is sacred. And when I misuse a human name, like if I were to use my mother's name as a swear word every time I got angry, that would be really offensive because her name expresses her personhood and she has inherent dignity and she's also my mother. Now, the same thing is true times infinity when it comes to the name of God. God's name expresses his unique and infinite sacredness. Point 2143 of the Catechism says, among all the words of revelation, there is one which is unique, the revealed name of God. So the name that God reveals to Moses, I am, or Yahweh, which is translated as Lord, expresses the identity of God. That I am is like an arrow that shoots right to the heart of the reality of God. God is. He is being itself, that all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing root of all existence. So the Catechism in point 2144 says, Respect for his name is an expression of the respect owed to the mystery of God himself and to the whole sacred reality it evokes. So every person is obliged to show respect for the name of God. So what does it mean to show respect for the name of God? Well, firstly, obviously, it means that we should never use God's name or Jesus' name as a swear word or just carelessly in conversation. Now, the best way to avoid doing that isn't to get like scrupulous and freak out if we accidentally say, oh, my God. You know, it's not a mortal sin if we accidentally take the name of God in vain or if, you know, we're in a habit and we're struggling to break it and then we sort of fall into it. But... If we focus on growing in our friendship with God, growing in our love for him, we will find that over time we don't want to use his name in a negative or trivial sense in the same way that I don't want to use my mother's name in a negative or a trivial sense. Another thing that we can do to show respect for the name of God is to make an interior act of reparation when someone else misuses his name. So I often find that people around me will use the name of Jesus as a swear word. And sometimes there are situations where you know the person well enough to say to them, hey, like, is there another swear word that you could use? Because I find that a bit offensive. But sometimes that isn't possible. So When we hear someone else take the name of God in vain, one thing that we can always do is say sorry to God in our hearts on that person's behalf, because we know that that hurts him. So we can use our own words to do this, or we can make use of a prayer called the divine praises. And I'll put a link to that prayer in the show notes. The divine praises were written in the 18th century specifically as a way to make reparation for blasphemy. So when we hear someone use the name Jesus as a swear word, we can say the line from the divine praises, blessed be the name of Jesus. It's a way of kind of making reparation for that offense to God, sort of like balancing the scales. Now, Taking God's name in vain, what we call blaspheming, doesn't just refer to using God's name as a swear word. Point 2148 of the Catechism says that blasphemy consists in uttering against God, inwardly or outwardly, words of hatred, 
reproach or defiance, speaking ill of God, failing in respect towards him in one's speech, misusing God's name. So, in other words, respecting God's name means generally speaking and thinking about him in a way that is loving and reverent. Now, Sometimes when we're really angry or we're really in a lot of pain, we might feel tempted to say something really horrible about God or to think that God is evil or that he doesn't love me. Now, that instinct, insofar as it is out of our control and just spontaneous and emotional, it isn't sinful because we're not choosing to feel that way. It's just instinct. But... If we start to foster that resentment and that anger, we dwell on it and permit it and even encourage it, that can become a sin and even a serious sin. It can lead us to rejecting God altogether. Another thing to bear in mind is that sometimes when we're having just casual conversation with friends, it can be tempting to fall into talking about God or about related things like things like the sacraments, especially the mass or the saints or the Pope in an irreverent or flippant or disrespectful way. And we should always just have in the back of our minds, you know, how do I speak about the people that I love the most? And then I apply that to the way that I speak about God and the things of God. Again, it doesn't mean you have to be like rigid and scrupulous and weird about it, but there should always be charity at the heart of the way that I speak about God. Another way that we can respect the name of God is by honoring the promises that we make in his name. Now, these days, it's not so common for us to make oaths or to swear to something in God's name. And I think because most of us live in kind of increasingly secular societies. So I was actually talking to my friend Chantal, who's a barrister. Hi, Chantal. <laughs> and she was telling me that in Australia, it's actually no longer compulsory to swear on the Bible when you're in court. Like If you're a Christian, then you can. But if you're not a Christian, then instead you can make a kind of secular affirmation of the fact that you're telling the truth. And in one sense, that's kind of sad right? Because it's like, well, fewer people are Christian. But in another sense, I actually kind of appreciate that because to me, it acknowledges the seriousness of taking an oath in the name of God. That's not something that you should do lightly, especially if you don't actually believe in God. Although side note, I feel like making a secular affirmation that you're telling the truth is so much less powerful than making an oath with God as your witness. Like the difference between being like, I promise that I'm telling the truth because I just promise (laughs) on my honor and I could get in trouble if I'm lying. So I promise I'm telling the truth. That is so much less powerful than being like, I swear that I'm telling the truth and may the infinite almighty God be my witness. And if I am lying, I could go to hell. So I swear that this is true. Because when we do take an oath in God's name, that's exactly what we're doing. We are calling on God to be our witness that what we're saying is true. And if I call on God to be my witness that I'm saying something true, and then I say something that I know is false, then I am making a liar out of God. And God is truth itself. So that is extremely serious. It's something that we call perjury. Now, the Faith Explained points out the difference between taking an oath and a vow. An oath is what we've just been talking about. It's when I make a promise to someone else and I call on God to be a witness to that promise. A vow is when I make a promise to God himself. So the Faith Explained says, God is not merely a witness, he's also the recipient of whatever we intend to do. So when I make a vow or a promise to God, the importance of keeping that promise becomes infinitely greater because the whole thing is kind of bookended by God. I'm promising something to God with God as my witness. Okay, 
So that is the second commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, let's move on to the third commandment. Keep holy the Sabbath day. So the two key aspects of this commandment are, one, a requirement to rest on Sundays, and two, a requirement to go to Mass on Sundays. Now, as human beings, and particularly as Christians, we know that two things are true. Firstly, as the Catechism puts it in point 2184, human life has a rhythm of work and rest. So as human beings, we need to rest. We are not automatons. We were not made to constantly, frenetically work. We have an obligation to rest. And the second thing that we know is that we were made by a God who loves us and destined us for heaven. So we also have an obligation as Christians to offer love and worship to God in return. And this was the topic of our last episode. Now, any time that we as human beings have an obligation to do something, we always put structure around that obligation. We make it concrete. Otherwise, it isn't an obligation at all. So for instance, say you're living at home with your mum and dad. You have an obligation as a member of that family to help out with jobs around the house. Now, imagine if your mum came to you and was like, okay, Let's make this concrete. Can we make Tuesday nights your night to do the dishes? And your response, you were like, oh, mom, that's a bit rigid of you, right? To demand that I do the dishes every Tuesday night. Why do we have to be so legalistic about it? Like, can't we just say that I will promise to help out with the dishes whenever I can or whenever I feel like it? Okay, that would be a bit of a silly response because fulfilling an obligation always involves some level of concrete commitment and obligation. Without that concreteness, I just end up doing whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. So another example, I am obliged to go to work at specific times and in a specific place. If my boss sat me down and told me, oh, you know, just do as much work as you like, whenever you like, and if you like, my boss would basically be telling me you are not under any particular obligation. So An obligation necessitates concrete commitment to doing something specific. It's not just an airy-fairy abstract idea. So if we return to this idea that every human being is obliged both to rest and to offer worship to God, we need to make that obligation concrete, right? When, where, how often do I need to rest and offer worship? Well, point 2172 of the Catechism says that God's action is the model for human action. If God rested and was refreshed on the seventh day, man too ought to rest on the seventh day. In other words, once a week. So for Christians, that day of rest falls on a Sunday because that's the day when Jesus rose from the dead. So it's a day of celebration when we stop and we remember what Christ did for us and we give thanks to him and we offer him worship. When we say that we have to rest and be refreshed on Sundays, that does not mean that we are not allowed to do anything at all. So I had a friend who, like her teenage brother, was annoyingly rigid about Sundays and he would use it as an excuse to do nothing. So, you know, if you asked him to pass the salt at the dinner table, he'd be like, no, sorry, it's a Sunday. It's a day of rest. Okay, that is taking things a little bit too far. So in the New Testament, we see an example in Jesus of a healthy attitude towards the day of rest. 
Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the point isn't that we should rigidly do nothing on Sundays, but that we should rest. (laughs) So I think we've all experienced those situations where we try to rest by doing nothing and it's actually not restful. Like we just lie around and scroll through Instagram and like eat snacks and have a nap. And then we get to the end of the day and we actually feel more tired and drained than when we started. San Jose Maria has this great quote where he says that to rest is not to do nothing. It is to relax with activities that require less effort. So the kind of rest that God requires of us on Sundays is that like nourishing and even active rest. So this might mean, you know, spending time with your family or your friends or reading a good book or engaging in a hobby that really nourishes you. We also need to remember that my time of rest isn't just about me. I mean, of course, I need to look after myself. It's like on an airplane when they tell you that you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you can put it on others. But once you've got the mask on, then you also need to help others who need oxygen. So the Catechism in point 2186 says, Those Christians who have leisure should be mindful of their brethren who cannot rest from work because of poverty and misery. Sunday is traditionally consecrated to good works and humble service of the sick, the infirm and the elderly by devoting time and care to their families and relatives. Sunday is a time for reflection, silence, cultivation of the mind and meditation, which furthers the growth of the Christian interior life. I just think that is so beautiful that, you know, my time of rest isn't just an excuse to do nothing or to be selfish. It's actually an opportunity for me to nourish myself, but also to grow in love for others and for God. And that will also ultimately bring me the greatest happiness as well. Like you think of the difference between a day that you spend having quality time with your family or with your friends or with, you know, your grandma versus a day that you spend having quality time with Netflix and the couch. The former will generally bring us more deep and genuine happiness than the latter. Now, a common question related to this commandment is, am I allowed to work on Sundays? Well, the Catechism in Point 2187 says, Traditional activities, so sport, restaurants, etc., and social necessities, public services, etc., require some people to work on Sundays, but everyone should still take care to set aside sufficient time for leisure. So, in other words, if you have to work on Sundays, that's okay, provided that you find some time for leisure as well. The Catechism goes on to say that employers and public authorities also have an obligation to make sure that people have time to rest and to worship on Sundays. So, Father Mike Schmitz actually has a really great video on this question, and I'll put it in the show notes. But basically what he says is that Working on Sundays, if you can't avoid it, is fine, provided that you still find time to go to Sunday Mass, either on Sunday itself or on Saturday night vigil. So this brings us to the second half of this commandment, that we are obliged to offer worship to God on Sundays by going to Mass. Now, when you think about it, 
This is a pretty basic, simple obligation. Like imagine if you were in a relationship with someone and they were like, okay, I think that we should have a weekly date night just for one hour, once a week. And you were like, oh, (laughs) too much. You demand too much of me. Okay. That person would be forgiven for thinking that maybe you didn't love them very much. And now imagine that this person that you're in a relationship with was like infinitely good and loving, had literally sacrificed their life for you, gone through unimaginable pain for your sake died and rose again from the dead and then they asked you to spend one hour with them a week and in response you were like oh yeah 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 like I I love you too I'm so grateful for everything you've done and I want to be in this relationship with you but I also kind of want to sleep in (laughs) okay that would be pretty offensive so for that reason if you are a baptized Catholic and you deliberately miss mass on Sunday then that is considered a mortal sin it's really serious because it basically means that you are refusing to give to God the absolute minimum of your time and your love. So canon law states that on Sundays and other holy days of obligation, the faithful are bound to participate in the mass. So there are a couple of things in there that we need to unpack. First of all, it mentions holy days of obligation. Okay, so what are they? Well, basically, they are the major feast days in the church aside from Sundays. So it's kind of like, you know, if your family got together every Sunday for Sunday lunch, but then there are also important kind of one-off days of the year where you all get together. So like birthdays and Christmas and Father's Day and Mother's Day, etc. So holy days of obligation are like those big birthdays in the church where it's like, okay, we're getting the whole fam together to celebrate and we've all got to be there. So there are 10 holy days of obligation in the Catholic Church, and they are Christmas Day, the Feast of the Epiphany, the Ascension of Christ, Corpus Christi, the Feast of Mary, the Mother of God, her Immaculate Conception, her Assumption, the Feast of St. Joseph, and the Feast of the Apostles Peter and Paul, and the Feast of All Saints. Now, that's a bit of a hefty list, so I will include that list in the show notes for your reference. Now, Hearing all of this, we might start to think like, oh, this is also legalistic, like so many things that we have to do in order to show that we love God. It just seems so rigid. Well, let's think of it like this. Have you ever been in a situation where someone keeps telling you that they love you and that you're super important to them and then they consistently refuse to actually commit to doing practical things for you? (laughs) They're like, yeah, 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 I love you. I think you're amazing, but I can't keep my Friday nights free for you because that's my games night with the boys. (laughs) Love involves not just nice feelings and wishy-washy sentiments. It actually involves commitment and deeds, even when that's uncomfortable. So my mum used to always say to us when we were growing up that if you don't love God, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, if you're not praying regularly, then the Catholic Church is just a bunch of people telling you what to do. So if we're finding the requirements of these commandments difficult, well, maybe the place to start is with my love for God, growing in that personal relationship with him. Okay, now that quote from Canon Law also states that the faithful are bound to participate in the Mass. So what does that mean, to participate in the Mass? Well, it means a few things. Firstly, it means that we actually need to be there at Mass. Now, there are situations where, because of illness or an emergency, we literally cannot get to Mass. And of course, if that's the case, God understands. Remember, we need to fully consent to actually commit a sin. However, this is not the same as saying, well, I need to work this Sunday so I can't go to Mass. Or my kid's soccer team is playing this Sunday, so we're going to have to skip Mass. Bear 
bearing in mind as well that in most places there are multiple options for Sunday Mass. So if you can't get to one in the morning, you can go to one at night or on a Saturday vigil or something. If we physically can get to Mass, we have to go to Mass. Going back to the idea of a relationship, you know, you wouldn't say to someone, yep, I'll do date night with you once a week unless something better comes up. If God is truly number one in our lives, then he actually has to be number one. Participating in Mass also means being on time for Mass. We can't just wander in super late, like at communion time, and think that we've satisfied our Sunday obligation. Now, there is no specific point in the Mass where it's like, if you arrive after that point, then you're too late and you haven't fulfilled your Sunday obligation. Really what it comes down to is your attitude. So if you're rocking up late to Sunday Mass because you don't really care and you're not making an effort, then you're not really fulfilling your obligation to participate in the Mass. On the other hand, if you are doing your absolute best to be on time, but you've got three children under the age of three and one of them just had a meltdown five minutes before Mass started and you physically couldn't get there bang on time, okay, God understands that. But generally, we do actually need to be present for the whole Mass. Now, being present also means being mentally present in Mass, actually actively participating in the Mass. And this is something that we kind of talked about when we talked about the Mass, that we are all participating in that prayer of the church. We're not just spectators. So Father Mike Schmitz has this amazing talk called The Hour That Will Change Your Life. And he talks about how so often we rock up at Mass as if we are rocking up to a concert or a movie where we're just there to sort of passively spectate. Or sometimes it's like a school assembly or a work conference where we just kind of zone out and we think about other things and pass the time until it's over. Now, obviously, we are human beings and sometimes we get distracted. Accidental distractions are normal and non-deliberate and fine. But if we are deliberately mentally checking out, then we're not fulfilling our Sunday obligation. Okay, so that's all we have time for today. So these last two episodes have been on those first three commandments that are related to our love for God. Next episode, we're going to start thinking about that commandment to love our neighbor, which makes up those final seven commandments. So we're going to begin with the commandment to honor your father and mother. Cool. Okay, I can't wait. Have a fantastic fortnight and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.